So in 1991, I was 11 years old, so I'm 38 now. In 1991, this movie came out called City Slickers. Has anyone seen City Slickers? All right, so if you're like between 35 and 45, probably this is like right in your zone. So City Slickers, Billy Crystal, he plays Mitch. He's sort of this like uh, really stressed out person from New York City. And, and through a series of things that happen, he ends up going on this cowboy vacation where uh, he and a bunch of other people from, from the city, hence the name City Slickers, they go uh, to this ranch and they learn how to ride horses and they have to lead a bunch of cows on an actual cattle drive. And this is funny because people from the city, they don't know how to do these things, right? I don't know how to either, but it's fun to make fun of people who live in the city when you live in a small town. So uh, the best part of this movie is this old grizzly cowboy named Curly, uh, and he has to teach all these these noobs how to how to ride a horse and how to uh, just how to do anything and he he's just constantly like looking at them in disapproval he's just growling at everyone he scowls all the time and squints and he he cusses a lot um, uses some cowboy words he smokes like hand rolled cigarettes uh, just gravelly, gravelly voice. So s- somewhere in the second third of the movie, Mitch and uh, Curly, they're riding along because now Mitch knows how to ride a horse without falling and everyone laughing at him. And Curly, uh, they're just having this conversation and Curly sort of likes him now. And he says, do you know what the secret of life is? This. He holds up his finger. This. And Mitch says, what, your finger? Your finger is the secret to life? And he says, no, it's It's one thing, just one thing. And you stick to that and the rest don't mean. And then Curly uses a cowboy word that I'm not going to use today. Um, But he says, you stick to that and the rest doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And Mitch says, well, okay, but what is the one thing? What is the one thing? Curly says, and that's what you have to find out. And then goes on to a new scene. (laughs) So when it comes to following Jesus, I think sometimes we feel as out of place as, as Mitch on a, on a cattle drive. <laughs> like we don't know what we're doing, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing even, and maybe we kind of have an idea, but we don't know how to get from where we are to where we're supposed to be. We don't know how to get to where we want to go. So wouldn't it just be nice to have somebody come alongside you and say, here's what the secret is to following Jesus. You just do this, right? That'd be nice. Like, oh, finally, the secret of following Jesus. And that's why we buy so many books and listen to so many things, because it's like, here's the secret. But we keep, we keep looking. So, so I'll say this. I'm not an old cowboy. I don't smoke hand-rolled cigarettes very often. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't know if I have ever smoked a hand-rolled cigarette. But, um, but we are going to spend four weeks talking about 
what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I don't think, there's no secrets. I have no secrets to, to following Jesus. No keys to success that's going to, to rocket your Christian life into the stratosphere. Uh, but, but my hope and my prayer has been for this is that, that we will grow in our love for Jesus. That's it. That we'll grow in our love for Jesus and, and that in growing in love that we would have more clarity about what it looks like to follow him as, as an individual and as a church community. And so the first two weeks, we're going to focus on the delight and the discipline of following Jesus. And then the last two weeks, we'll be talking about declaring and displaying Jesus through the words that we speak and the lives that we live. So four Ds, hopefully uh, they will be memorable, delight, discipline, Declare and display. So today we're beginning with delight. And we are beginning with delighting in Jesus because if I was an old cowboy who smoked hand-rolled cigarettes, I think I would tell you that the one thing about following Jesus is that delight in Jesus is the most important part of following Jesus. Delight in Jesus is the most important part of following Jesus. The old catechism that Christians have used for centuries to learn the essential doctrines and truths of of Christianity says the chief end or the main goal of people, of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of of, of people, the main goal of people is to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, what does that sentence mean? It's sort of archaic language a little bit, but it's, it's saying the most important thing for a follower of Jesus is to enjoy him, is to enjoy him, to be delighted in him. So, so think of it this way. If you don't like Jesus, you're, you're not going to pursue him. If he doesn't hold some, some kind of, of draw, if you're not drawn to him, if you're not delighted in him, you're, you're not really going to follow him in, in like a true, genuine sense. So, okay, you, maybe you're thinking, what does it look like to, to enjoy Jesus? Like, I understand the things I'm supposed to do, but, like, delight is not something you can point at and say, there, there is delight. It's not a job description, necessarily. So, so we could think of it like this. Delighting in Jesus uh, could look like, in some ways, a picture that we might see in, in marriage. So if you are married, and I know not everyone here is married, but just imagine this with me. If you are married or if you're going to get married, presumably you, love, you will love the person that you are married to. Like that's sort of an assumption that we would make. But do you like them? I've been married for 14 and a half years. And sometimes you're like, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I do love them. And my wife is awesome. She's right there, so I'm not talking behind her back or anything. Uh, 
But there's not like this constant stream of liking them all the time. And that's when you're married for a certain amount of time, you, you're okay acknowledging that. I know she doesn't like me all the time for good reasons. But, but to ask the question, do I enjoy them? Do I delight in them? And, and then you would say, well, how do I even know if I like them or not? How do I know if I delight in them or not, and it's you have you have evidences of like, do I enjoy being around them? That's a good that's a good indicator. Do I like this person or not? Do do you do you like hanging out? Do you like doing things together? Is there friendship and is there intimacy and is there is there forgiveness and, and laughter and, and time together that you could say is quality and quantity? Um, or or to say it in that you're not just doing a job together, like we, are, we have this thing we need to accomplish, like let's get through 50 years together, but, but you, there's, a, there's a delight in one another. And, and we would say, right, if a, if a marriage or a relationship is not healthy, those things are, are lacking or they're, or they're dysfunctional. And that's part of the grief and the sorrow when marriage is not healthy, is, is that there's not delight, so, so, okay, what does that look like when it comes to, to following Jesus? Like, how do I have that kind of relationship of delighting in Jesus? What does it look like to enjoy him? What are the indicators that I might have? And, and here's an example from a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's this, this man named Brother Lawrence. I would like to be known as like Brother Anything. That's your title that people know you by, Brother Nate. You guys want to just start calling me that? Nah, probably not. But anyway, Brother Lawrence, he, he has this life that he builds a habit of, of putting himself in the presence of God. And he writes this book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And he says in his book, he's describing this life that he's trying to live, my most useful method is, the simple, is this simple attention done with a passionate regard toward God to whom I find myself often attached with greater sweetness and delight than that of an infant at its mother's breast. So much so that if, if I dare use this expression, I choose to call this state the bosom of God because of the inexpressible sweetness which I taste and experience there. If sometimes my thoughts wander from God because of necessity, because I have to do like normal stuff, I am recalled back to God soon after by inward sensations so charming and delicious that I am afraid to speak of them. Now, if you are like me, that quote makes you a little uncomfortable, maybe a lot uncomfortable. Like, that guy is talking about him and God, and he says, I have inward sensations so charming and delicious that I am afraid to speak of them. That's like reading somebody else's really intimate love letters. And you are. That's what we're doing here, right? We're reading Brother Lawrence's description of the delight that he has in Jesus. That there is, there is an indicator in his life 
of when he knows that he is delighting in Jesus or when he is not. And he doesn't say that it has to do with the amount of things that he's accomplishing for God. The way he measured his health as a disciple of Jesus was how much his, he was delighting in Jesus. And that's why I am convinced that delight in Jesus is the most important part of following Jesus. That's why we're starting with delight. Like next week we're going to talk about, here's the disciplines that we put in our lives to, to put ourselves in the way of delighting in Jesus. And we're going to talk about how do we speak about Jesus and how do we live for Jesus. But we have to begin with delight in Jesus. We're going to read a story in Luke's gospel where Jesus is going to teach us this. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's on page 869. If you're using one of the Bibles back there, you can do it on your phone. It'll be up on the screen. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Would you pray with me once more? Father, we are here in this really incredible position today of being welcomed and invited to delight ourselves in you. Despite who we are and the things that we have done, you are saying, come and delight yourself in me. Find, find all that you need in me. And I pray that we would hear the invitation of Jesus today through your living word. And Holy Spirit, would you be using the breathed out word of God to be getting into the deepest places of us right now Maybe we've been a Christian for a long time, and we've been working hard, but we don't have that delight. Or maybe we don't even know what it looks like to follow you, Jesus, because we've never really done it before. Would you capture our hearts that we might delight in you as, as individuals and as a community, to be delighted people in you, Jesus, that we could follow you and see you as our greatest joy and pleasure. Teach us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is happening here in the story of Mary and Martha? And, and for many of us who've been following Jesus, who, who are familiar with this story, it's, it's a well-known passage of Scripture. We've got these two women, Martha and Mary. They are sisters. They're brothers. Name is Lazarus, who we know. Uh, that he dies, he dies at one point after this, and Jesus raises him back to life. That's in chapter 11 of, of John's gospel. But, but we, what we know mostly about these people is that 
these three siblings, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, they, uh, they're important members of the early community of Jesus. That Jesus, he really loves them. There's a relationship between Jesus and them. And, and, and Luke, in his gospel, is describing this moment. Um, he's often traveling. He's walking around. He's going from city to city, doing ministry, preaching, healing, miracles, And he takes a little detour to their town of Bethany and goes to their house. And and it says that that this woman, Martha, she welcomes Jesus into her house. And and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet as he's teaching. So so here we've got Jesus, and we have these two women, these sisters. Martha is, is the older sister. She's the one who's in charge of the house. She's the one who's sort of taking charge of all of this. She's inviting Jesus in. And, and Eugene Peterson, in his uh, translation of this verse, he says that Martha made Jesus feel quite at home. So she was a good hostess. She knew how to make a place and an environment for people to feel welcomed and, and comfortable. And, and so as Jesus has come into her home, and there's probably a a pretty good-sized group of people who are with him, because Jesus always had a lot of people around him, and as she's the the woman who's in charge of this this whole deal that's going on, this is her domain, she's doing what she would normally do to welcome someone into her home. So she's cooking, she's preparing, she's organizing, she's giving people different jobs to do, she is working hard. And then we have Mary, Martha's younger sister. I am an oldest child, and my brother Nick, who sometimes leads music here, he is 18 months younger than me. And I could totally see this happening, uh, that, that you know there's stuff to get done, and Nick is just over there playing his guitar. Uh, that, that would be like a very real scenario. And Nick is a very hard worker. He's a very strong work ethic, speaking mostly of like the sibling relationship. Okay, Nick is actually a much harder worker. Like he, he can do like manual jobs. I am just like, you know, sit at a desk type of a person. So anyway, Nick's a hard worker. Nick, if you listen to the recording, I love you. Oh, it's too late. I should have, should have not said it. Uh, so, but in, for, for Mary, instead of helping her older sister out, she has positioned herself at Jesus' feet, and she is listening to him. And, and Luke is trying to give us this picture that Mary is, is in a posture of careful attention, that she's not uh, distracted, she is focused on Jesus, that she's continually hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. And by sitting at Jesus' feet, she has taken the posture or the place of a disciple, that someone who wants to learn will put themselves at the feet of the one who is the teacher. It's a, it's a posture of humility and submission, there, through, through doing this, she's saying in a physical way, with not just her, her mind, I'm here to learn, but she's saying it with all of herself. I'm sitting here at Jesus' feet. You have authority over me, and I'm delighting myself in what you are saying and what you are doing, and I'm delighting myself in your presence that I'm near to you, close to you, with you. 
Now, when you think of your relationship to Jesus, when you think about what it looks like for you to follow him or maybe the the prospect of following him, what is an image, what is the image that comes into your mind when you think about following Jesus? That's, you know, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't like think about what it looks like for us to be in those positions, but, but this can be a helpful exercise sometimes to put yourself in a story. Who am I in this story? Where would I be? Where would I find myself in this story? And, and so when you think about following Jesus, what is the image that comes into your mind? Uh, it's a, so, so Lane preached last week, right? And he asked a lot of questions that we were doing engagement. Why don't we do it right now? It wasn't planned. What is the image that comes into your mind when you follow Jesus? I think of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, okay. I think of Jesus and all Okay, that's a good, another movie from the 90s, Forrest Gump, yeah. So... So Forrest Gump, he runs and he has this big flock. So, okay, so we're running after Jesus. That's a, good, that's a good picture. What other images maybe come into your mind when you think about you following Jesus? Not other people, you. You guys aren't used to me asking these questions, I know. I'm usually more rhetorical, and that's okay. It's a totally, totally okay. This is the beautiful, it's, it's actually really fun. So you're not, you're not doing anything out of turn. Last week was the first week that you were here, and you're like, they ask questions and we answer, right? <laughs> yeah. I used to do that a lot more often, so we're just breaking the mold here a little bit today. Any other images that come to your mind? Yeah, that's a good one. Carrying the cross. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you pick up your cross and you come after me. That's a really powerful image, right? Especially knowing what happens to Jesus after he makes that statement later on is that, that he carries a cross, right? And so it's this call into life, sacrificial life, laying ourselves down. That's a really powerful image. And, and I think when I think of myself following Jesus, what my life looks like as I follow him, so often it has to do with what I do. What am I doing for Jesus as I follow him? So I'm, I'm running, maybe, like Forrest Gump. Uh, I'm running after him. Maybe I'm carrying something, right? I'm carrying a cross or I'm, I'm doing ministry in some way. I'm giving, I'm serving, something like that. I obey, I do what's right. But if my, if my whole relationship to Jesus is based on what he does, right? He does some stuff and then I do some stuff. He does these things, I do these things. If our entire relationship with Jesus is based on he does that, I do this, that sounds more like a transaction, right? This is an exchange of some kind. He does this, I do this. That's how the deal works. But this image of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, it is not a transaction, And it is not an obligation. She's not doing this because it's the right thing to do. She is not there for information so that she can teach something to someone else later on. She is receiving. She is in a posture of 
reception. She's not there because she has some lingering sense of duty or guilt if she doesn't do this. She's there because she is delighted by Jesus. He, he, she enjoys being around him. She loves listening to him. There is joy there. Jesus came into the world to welcome us into this kind of delight. That's why Jesus came into the world. The gospel is good news. The most basic word in, in, in our language as, as Christians is the gospel. It's the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. That is not a transaction. It is news that we receive and that we say, this is good. This is the gospel. This is good news. Jesus came to show us the beauty and the worth of God, that he is to be enjoyed. Jesus welcomes us Think about the different language that Jesus uses. Abide in me. Be with me. Come to me. Listen to me. He welcomes us into delight and into enjoyment. This is Jesus' invitation. Mary, she receives that invitation. She says, yes, this is what I'm here for. I will delight myself in you, Jesus. And all of her being is showing that, right? That she's delighted in him. She is, she's just hanging on every word that he says. She's put herself close to Jesus in ways that are socially and culturally inappropriate. She is being wasteful. She's, she's being extravagant. She's being reckless. She is being inefficient. And it's in this waste and this inefficiency and this extravagance that we see what we could call the fight for delight. Now, I want to tell you guys a story, sort of the birth of this, what I'm talking about today, and the birth of really this, this four weeks that we're doing and following Jesus uh, came out of this. I went on a solar retreat a couple weeks ago up in Oregon, and I rented a cabin north of Coos Bay. And, and the whole goal is I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to delight myself in him in a focused way. So I took, a, took my Bible, I took a bunch of other books, I took a journal, and, and I just hid away for three days in this cabin. I literally did not talk to another person except my wife and kids on the phone uh, because I can't be that disconnected. Uh, but, but no other people uh, that I saw in the flesh and spoke to uh, while I was at this cabin. And I, I was just sort of settling into being there. And, and almost immediately, I found myself wanting to do things, like make things or write things or, or get stuff done. Like I wanted to, to justify to myself and to anyone who might ask, you took all this time and you're spending this this money to go sit there, like to just be with Jesus, like that sounds inefficient, sounds wasteful. 
And so I, I just found myself over and over again in my mind, like wanting to squeeze out everything that I could from this, this trip. And, and I started like counting down the hours of how long that I had left to be there and that I needed to like, what am I going to do that will justify me being here? And I just felt like I'm not going to, it's not going to be worth it. Because I'm, I'm already been like half the time is already gone, and I, I haven't done enough yet. And, and that is when Jesus led me to these verses about Mary and Martha. And, and I could say I went on the trip to be like Mary. Like I, I, I wanted to sit at Jesus' feet, but, but God was revealing to me that I am much more of a Martha than, than a Mary. And so look, look how Luke in his gospel describes what happens next. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, I have read this story, I don't know how many times in reading the Bible, I've heard this story so many times, but, but when I was in this cabin, I, f- I feel like I was shown so clearly that the way that I think about following Jesus is primarily from a Martha viewpoint. So, so again, put on your imagination here. Just imagine yourself in a house. There's a bunch of people around. There's the noise of a house there's, there's food, there's drink, there's all kinds of things going on. And Jesus is in the middle of all of it. And Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah, the rescuer of God. He has performed miracles. He teaches with authority. Everywhere he goes, he astounds people. And as Jesus is teaching people about the love of God, who he is, what he's come to do, and in, in all his authority and his power and his amazing teaching, there's this, this joy and delight and excitement in it. So you, you can feel the energy of that and, and the joy, but Martha is not in the room. She's not, she's not present for this. She has stuff to do. She's got to make this happen and and i can just imagine her in the kitchen just seething with anger just you know how you talk under your breath because you're like i have to be a good person i don't want everyone to know that i'm super mad and my wife just gave me a look because uh, <laughs> i do this just just so irritated I'm in here working hard, trying to get stuff done, and everyone else is just sitting around, and my sister is in there sitting down on the ground. She's in a fight for delight. What brings Martha joy? It's not simply that Jesus is in her home. It's, it's that she is making a place for Jesus to do ministry. She, she's orchestrating a good thing, but she is not participating. She, she is a facilitator, 
but she is not enjoying or participating herself. And she feels this pull and this tension, this anxiety. That's why she's angry and she's irritated because some part of her wants to be out there sitting at Jesus' feet. But, but this other part of her says, if I go do that, how is all this other stuff going to get done? Who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going who's to put the food out on the table and make sure that everything looks the way that it's supposed to be? You feel that struggle that she's in? Do you recognize it in yourself as you follow Jesus? Think about this. When you wake up in the morning and you see your Bible and you think, I know I should, but I have so much to do today. The kids are already awake. I'm late for class, whatever it might be. When you want to take a minute to pray, but your, your phone is there and you're, it's so easy to just get right on your phone and you're like, where did the last 20 minutes go? When you have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone, but you have a sermon to write, that's, that one's more for me, but it happens. When you set aside time for rest, but you could get something done, or you could make more money with some overtime or an extra shift. When you have a moment of quiet, and, and you hear the whisper of an invitation to be with Jesus, and you're like, I have a, a podcast or an audiobook or, or some music to listen to instead. When you think about coming together on a Sunday as we're gathered together as a church community or being together in community with other Christians like we, we get together in a, in a gospel community during the week, but, but there's just that time I'm so exhausted, I've been working so much, I've been going and doing and traveling, I don't have anything left. When you have an opportunity to give or to serve, but then you think about the other ways that you could use that time or you could use that money, right? These are all fights for our delight in Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you're in that fight. That's your war. That's your battle. And it is such a battle. It is such a war within us that there will be times, God forbid and God have mercy on me, that, that I will get in the way of what God is doing to complain that not enough is getting done and no one is helping me. That's what Martha does, right? She interrupts Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, interrupts him teaching, very inappropriate. Look at my sister, she should be helping me get stuff done. And, and sort of in, I think it's a moment of vulnerability, she, she reveals her true fear here. Don't you care? Do you not care that I am working alone while other people get to enjoy you? And I, I can hear myself saying, <laughs> saying something like this to Jesus in my irritation and busyness and anxiety can't you see that I'm trying to get your work done here? Can't you see? Don't you care that I'm, I'm trying to live the way you want me to live? Trying to, 
to walk out and live out this calling you've given me. And so like Martha, I can work for Jesus in such a way that I miss out on the most important part of following Jesus, to enjoy being with him. And when we follow Jesus, this is the fight that we face. Where are we going to find our joy, our delight? What are we seeking out? Is it it the job we do for Jesus that we can measure and point to and say, this is what I've done? Is it recognition for the things that we're doing? Is it approval from other people? Is it a position or a title that we might get if we do the right things? Is it the sense that our marriage or our children or our career will turn out the way that we want if we obey Jesus and do the right things? Or is it Jesus? Is Jesus the way you will reach your goal or is he your goal? We are in a war. We are in a battle, a fight for our hearts of who we will delight in or what we will delight in. And to help us win this fight, we have to see that we have been invited into delight. And, and I realize that, that the first and the last point of this sermon are welcome to delight and invited to delight, and they're very similar. Welcome and invitation, but here's the difference. A welcome is general. You are welcome to join us. It's a public invitation. But, but this invitation to delight is specific of Jesus saying, I want you to be with me. I want you to be in my presence. And that's what Jesus does for Martha in this awkward moment where she's busted in and interrupted and complained to Jesus about what's going on. She's let everyone know that she is irritated. And how does Jesus respond? He answers her, Martha, Martha. Two times he says her name, and that is very significant that he wants to let her know that he hears her, he knows her, he knows what's going on with her. He says, you're anxious and you're troubled about so many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In Jesus' words here, we are being taught something and we are being invited. And Jesus, first, he, he teaches us. What does he say to Martha? You're so tangled up in so many things, but only one thing is essential. Only one thing is essential. Me. I am the only essential, vital thing in this equation. Nothing else matters like I matter but he does it with grace and he does it with patience. I see your troubled heart. I see that you're feeling pulled in all these different directions. But those other things, they are not essential. And so we can say, yes, it is good to serve. It is good to work hard as we follow Jesus. And we'll talk more about that 
next week, but it has to come from a place of enjoying Jesus, or we will be right here with Martha. But more than just teaching Martha something, more than just teaching us a principle, Jesus is inviting her and inviting us into delight in him. He points to Mary. He says, here's the way into delight. Why do you think Mary enjoyed sitting at Jesus' feet? Why do you think she liked being with him? I think it is because she was convinced that Jesus enjoyed being with her. I mean, he came into their house. He didn't do that with a lot of people, at least that we have recorded for us in the Gospels. It's a sign of his, his favor, right? He's come in to their home, that he delights in them. And as Jesus comes through the door, he's saying with his presence, I am glad to be here with you. I delight to be with you. This was my struggle in that cabin up in Oregon. I thought that unless I was doing something for God while I was there, it would be a waste of time. Unless I did something that I could come back and say, here's what I got done while I was spending time with Jesus. But what I learned in a fresh way was that God just enjoyed being with me. And that was enough. It is enough to be with Jesus, to enjoy him, to delight in him. And I want to finish with a quote from an author named Brennan Manning. I know some of you have read his books. They're familiar with him. He says, your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out, whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is, come now, wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this, he says? With all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit. No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. So whether you have been a Christian since you were a kid or you begin your journey of following Jesus today. Here's Jesus' invitation to you right now. I love you. I enjoy being with you. I gave myself 
for you. Now come to me and be with me. Follow me. Delight yourself in me. And that's what it means to follow Jesus, to delight yourself in him. You have been welcomed. It's going to be a fight every day of your life to find your joy in him. But he will keep loving you. He will keep pursuing you. He will keep calling you by name, inviting you again and again to enjoy being his. So let's follow Jesus. He is our, he's our one thing. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask today that we would hear your invitation. That before we start doing stuff, before we start working for you or go back to working for you, that we would enjoy you, that you would put in our hearts such a, a desire and a longing for you. That we'll stop looking in other places and see the place that you have for us. And then we just learn and grow in, in being with you and not accomplishing things, but time with you. Thank you that we can continue to respond now, to, to sing, to remember who you are, what you've done for us. We thank you for your great love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.